And I, I do want to say that it is out of character for Pastor to do the whole service today. And uh, hopefully next Sunday we'll resume using these fine gentlemen over here. And uh, hopefully we can pick that up again next Sunday. Thank the Lord. Love you folks. And uh, I'm excited to be in service with you here today. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we, everybody say we, are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I want you to take this scripture reading as it is written. I have pondered this for a number of years. I still don't know the answer. But I believe when the Bible says that somebody did something, that's what they did. Now, you could probably go into the Hebrew and find different explanations and all that kind of stuff if you want to. But I find it interesting that these three men stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and all three of them said the exact same thing at the exact same time. That's what the Bible said. The Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, all three of them answered and said to the king. Now, in the case of Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament, Moses said he needed a speaker because he couldn't speak good and God gave him Aaron. But if you still read the passages in Exodus and so on, the Bible is full of Moses said, Moses said, Moses said. It didn't say Moses and Aaron. It said Moses said. So I'm going to assume that somehow today in the Scripture setting, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king Nebuchadnezzar, when the Bible said, we are not careful, and that this is what they said, that it was all three of them saying it. So with that in mind, verse 17. If it be so, the three of them still speaking, our God, everybody say our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if it be not, be known, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. I want you to notice the we's, the us that is contained in this scripture setting. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning. The true power of unity. The true power of unity. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and God bless you. You may be seated. Maddie Stepanek said, unity is strength. Unity is is strength. The Bible said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Unity, she said, is strength. When there is teamwork and collaboration, wonderful things can be achieved. Philip Melanchthon said, in essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. Unity is essential. In difference, he said, liberty and all things charity. Winston Churchill said, when there is no enemy within, the outside enemies cannot hurt you. When there's no enemies within, the outside enemies cannot hurt you. I want to move along to Sai Baba, who said in the uh, 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 Elevate Adults just touched on it. 
He said, look out into the universe and contemplate the glory of God. Observe the stars, millions of them twinkling in the night sky, all with a message of unity, part of the very nature of God. I heard about a book that is called What's So Amazing About Grace. In it, the author, Philip Yancey, quotes Mark Twain. Apparently, Twain used to say that he had put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment to see if they could get along or not. They did. So he put a bird, a pig, and a goat in a cage. They, too, got along fine after a few adjustments. And then he put a, as Twain wrote, he put a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic, and soon there was not a living thing left. Now that's Mark Twain, not me. In this area, it might be, in this area, it might be Baptist, Pentecostal, and Catholic. But you know, and this is my words, sometimes it's hard enough for a Pentecostal and a Pentecostal and a Pentecostal all in a cage together to get along. I'm not preaching about a problem. I'm preaching prevention. Prevention is always better than cure. And the text we read is perhaps one of the most familiar texts in the entire Bible. It tells the story of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they refused to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There was something that had gotten into the heart of these young men that attributed such an action against idolatry. This chapter comes on the heels of Daniel's warning to Nebuchadnezzar. He had been warned that Jehovah would judge and destroy his empire, but apparently Nebuchadnezzar forgot about that pretty quick. So he built this statue covered with gold so that his subjects and his kingdom could bow down and worship it. His kingdom, as we know from Daniel 3, was well organized and well structured. We read that when the princesses, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all of the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You'll notice a number of offices and positions, uh, people up in rank and authority, attended the dedication of this image, if you will. In an effort to add to it a sense of decorum of worship, to not only acknowledge the image, but to literally worship Nebuchadnezzar by worshiping this image, he wanted a decorum of worship added to this great ceremony, so he had assembled this, uh, this great gathering of musicians and singers and what have you. There are at least six different instruments noted in Daniel 3, but there were many beyond it because of the addition, the Bible said, of all kinds of music. In other words, this was a big deal. It involved the entire province, the provinces that made up the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it being Babylon in the Middle East. In addition to the image and Nebuchadnezzar and all of these 
positions of people and so on, all the music, all kinds of music, all of this pomp and ceremony that was going on, nearby there was a roar from a furnace of fire. And if you've been around a large fire, you can literally hear it burning. There was the very loud roar of a very fiery furnace that was created and placed there for those who did not bow and worship this image. They would be thrown into this fire. So bottom line, Nebuchadnezzar wanted more than just acknowledgement. He wanted more than just a pat on the back. He wanted more than just the general accolades that uh, one could expect being in a position like that. Nebuchadnezzar literally wanted to be worshipped. So the whole essence of this story revolves around the subject of worship. It was all about worship. So you learn from this story today that either our worship, our worship, you and I, our worship is either going to be heavenly or hellish. Jesus was very clear when he said that you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time, mammon being earthly or worldly things. You will worship one and hate the other. You will love the one and despise the other, he said. And Daniel chapter 3 is a great example of that. You can't have your cake and eat it too, so to speak, when it comes to worship. You either worship God alone, or you worship the world and all of its components alone. But no matter what, no matter what, no matter since man was created, no matter what, God has always had a few faithful, a remnant that refuses to bow to the demands of earthly, secular, trendy worship. God has always had a people that would set themselves apart and say when it comes to worldly things, we will not bow. When it comes to compromise, we will not bow. When it comes to conviction, we will not bow. When it comes to God, only He will be our object and our focus of worship. I want to remind Grace Church here today, we don't worship ministry, we don't worship the pastor, we don't worship the music, we don't worship the environment, and neither do we worship our holiness standards. We worship God, and everything we are today is a byproduct of God being in the midst of of this church. And I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful to have the presence, to have the attendance, to have the faithfulness of the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of the universe, right here in this room with us right now. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yes! They understood. That oftentimes when you make up your mind to be a true worshiper of God, that you're going to be in the minority. And uh, they, these three Hebrew boys found themselves perhaps at odds against their own families, at odds against their friends, and they were not going to fold under pressure. Death was staring them in the face, but they could not disobey 
their conviction. Their peers said they were stubborn, they were crazy, and perhaps even hard-headed for not conforming to what was going on around them, but standing firm on biblical truths. And they were reminded, I'm sure, by many elements of people surrounding them that day, of the hundreds of thousands of people that were there, that, look, man, you're not going to escape the fire if you don't bow, if you don't conform. It's over for you. Lights are out. You're trading off your high offices. You're trading off your employment. You're trading off your perks and favors under the Nebuchadnezzar regime. You're trading off royal favor. You're even willing, you're even willing to give up your life. It didn't matter what their peers said. They knew who God was. They knew where their faith was. They knew in whom they believed. And there was not a chance that they were going to bow. But the beauty of it, the beauty of it, it was not just one that refused to bow. I can't emphasize enough, man. I'm sure God would have spared the one. I'm sure he could have saved just one. I'm sure he would have showed up in the fire if it had been just one. But I will tell you this, but because that all three of those boys agreed, three boys, three, three, just three, not a hundred, not two hundred, not ten thousand, just three agreed. God took that force and power of true unity. And not only were these three boys spared, but God turned that nation on its ear because there were three people that stood up and said, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to give in. We're not going to settle for less. We're not going to do the trendy thing. God is our object of worship. And our unity is going to not only save us, but it will save our community. It will save our nation. And it will put us in a place in relationship with God like nothing else does. And that thought process doesn't always compute with some. But I believe that we have some folks here today that understand that. And there are some who see the real value of the soul and they refuse to trade off the shallow things of this life for the greater value of the one to come. A.W. Tozer, and he's quoted all the time, but years ago he wrote that there are some marks of a spiritual man. And these three young men, these three Hebrew boys in Daniel 3, fit the bill of what Tozer wrote about. Tozer said a spiritual man has a prevailing desire to be holy rather than to be happy. Because it's the object of your worship. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that here. I, I, I think we ought to put more happiness, make priority happiness over our relationship with God, right? Is that why we... No, that's not what we do here. A spiritual man has a prevailing desire to be holy rather than happy. A spiritual man has a desire to see the honor of God advanced in his life. A spiritual man has a desire to see the honor of God advance in his life, even if it means that he may have to suffer temporary dishonor and loss. A spiritual man desires to carry his cross. A spiritual man sees everything from God's viewpoint. A spiritual man sees everything from God's point of view. A spiritual man would rather die right than to live wrong. A spiritual man desires to see others advance at his expense. 
A spiritual man habitually makes eternity-based judgments instead of time-based judgments. And immediately when these three boys stood up and said, we're not bowing, there were the informants, there were those, the tattlers, if you will, that went straight to the king, and I believe in a very sneering and very sarcastic tone of voice, said there were certain Jews. If I may say today, I believe the tone of voice is what you'd expect in a racial slur in our culture. There were these certain Jews. There was no respect lended for what they were refusing to bow for. No one gave any acknowledgement to why they didn't want to bow. They should have been respected as people who would stand up for their own convictions and things they believed in. They were not treated that way. It was used in a horrible tone of voice. And Nebuchadnezzar went out of his mind with fury. He couldn't believe it. I think just getting the majority to bow sometimes is a great accomplishment, much less everybody. But Nebuchadnezzar, so full of himself, he wanted everyone to bow, and it didn't matter. But the threat of a fiery furnace did not intimidate these three guys. They said, we're still not going to bow. This one thing about unity and worship is serious business. The devil doesn't like it one bit when we refuse to worship the objects of his kingdom and choose rather than to worship God. That is why you need to let your worship be directed Godward and not earthward. Hallelujah to God. These men refused to bow. And so, with the threat of Nebuchadnezzar and his military force, his power and the fiery furnace and all that stuff, there was something that hell didn't think through. Hell made a mistake that day. The first mistake hell made was to let these three fellows stand shoulder to shoulder in the same spot. If he could have, if hell would have just thought it through and put way one way over there on the eastern side and one way over here on the western side and one kind in the middle on the south side or whatever, then maybe it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. Hell forgets that when you allow people of like precious faith to come together and they believe the same thing and they worship the same thing and they have the same convictions, that that unity, that unity among those people can literally shake the earth. You don't believe that, do you? You don't think that three people unified can move a kingdom forward. I tell you it can. It did in Daniel chapter 3 and it's done it on many, many other bases and many other occasions. We're only three or four people. I remember in our early days in Baker, we started this church Restarted it, if you will, with about 11 or 12 people back then. It ended up being three or four, if you will, that agreed with Pastor and said, we can do this, we can do this. Those three people has shoved Grace Church and brought it to the place where it is right now. Don't tell me today that people get unified, that there's power in it, there's force in it, there's momentum in it, there's consequence in it, there's determination in it. And I strive today to see Grace Church more unified right now than it's ever been. Where Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get, well, he got everybody but three to bow to his image. I'm not sad. I'm not happy with having three not on board with our with our vision here. I don't want three to stand up and say that's not what we want to do. I don't want three to stand up and say, Pastor, we need to compromise. I don't want three people to stand up. I don't know what I'd do if it happened. 
So far it has never happened. But I'm telling you right now, as long as we can stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, and we lock in on the same vision, there's nothing this church can't do. There's not a place it can't go. There's nothing it can't accomplish. Anybody hear what pastor's saying together? The Bible said in Acts chapter 2, when they were all with one accord, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. God help us today, all of us, to get on the same page and let's see the kingdom of God move forward. Somebody clap your hand and shout yes. The Bible said, beautiful, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Can I tell you something here today? The devil doesn't really care how much we preach as long as we're not unified. He doesn't care how much we sing as long as we're not unified. The devil doesn't really care how how anointed we are as long as we're not unified. He doesn't care how much doctrine we have as long as we're not unified. He doesn't care how much we pray as long as we're not unified. He doesn't care how much structure we have. He, as long as the church does is not unified, it doesn't matter. The devil doesn't care how many are here. Just don't let the church get unified because on that day, three men who got together ended up ruling the day. And we, we need to know today that when two or three get together, someone will always show up. You know why Jesus was here this morning? I don't believe he waited to the music to start. I believe he was here during music practice. I believe he was here during the 830 prayer meeting this morning. I believe he was here before any of us got here, anticipating your arrival, to hear your worship, to be blessed by your worship, for God to have a good feeling about his church because you came to worship. When two or three show up in his name, he said, I will be there. And there are some here today Or perhaps dying to experience what we have going on right now in this house. But they're struggling to get it together. I will tell you, in the past two or three years, and you all know it, Grace Church has become a place where a lot of folks like to be. Our growth rate in the past year, year and a half has been amazing. And it's because there's an environment here. That environment is created through the conduit of unity. And when we come unified, God said, I'm coming too. I'm glad y'all thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but I believe there's people here today that are dying on the inside to experience what's going on here at Grace Church. And what you need to know right now is that you're bowing down to that image of disunity. The thing about Nebuchadnezzar's image, yes, it was for people to worship him, 
but it was also to divide the kingdom. He was no fool. He knew that there was a bunch of slaves there that they depended on for their economy and everything else that went on in Babylon, that they only believed in one God and they had been taught all their life to worship only that one God. He knew that. And if he could divide them, he could destroy them, he thought. So when these three Hebrew boys rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, what happened that day is they brought in a spirit of disunity. They unified around what they believed, but they stood in opposition of what he was doing, and it turned the whole thing on its head. It was a spirit of disunity. There's people here today that you really want to worship, but you're being suffocated by a grudge that you have against someone else. You really want to shout to the Lord, but your voice is silent because you won't have a change of heart. You won't give that up. I believe there's folks here today that would really like to clap your hands or at least pat your foot a little bit, but you can't because you can't agree with your brother or sister sitting across the aisle or sitting in front or behind you. So the devil tells you to just sit there and act dead because in reality, you are. But hell made a mistake today by letting you come into a church full of the saints of God who are unified, who are on the same page, who are on board with who they worship and how they worship Him. I'm not kidding you, man. The praise team opened up this morning. If I was 20 years old, I'd told this building down some kind of way. I felt like running, jumping, shouting, dancing, whatever. And it's not just because I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. I was overwhelmed by what brought God here. A spirit of unity. And what is somebody going to think, you may be saying? What is somebody going to think if they see me bowing down and giving up my unforgiving spirit? Or letting go of my grudge? Or giving up worldliness? What if someone sees me unified in worship like these people worship? We need to know that true worship isn't going to run off anybody we want to keep. It is good, and I'm going to prove it. Amy has been bringing a friend with her for the past several months. His name is Carl. Carl Dupuy. Glad to have Carl. Seems to be a sweet man. I'm very thankful you're here, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you anyway. But I remember, he, he comes from a religious background I have a lot of respect for. But they're not quite as demonstrative and loud, and, am I right, as we are and all that stuff. The first Sunday he came, Grace Church went ballistic. You remember that? And I remember I, I looked at Carl about 400 times that Sunday morning just to see, watch his eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, God. What am I doing here kind of thing? But I thought it was interesting the following Wednesday night he was at Bible study. And the following Sunday he was back. And I'm not sure that he's missed very many Sundays or Wednesdays since then. And that's been, what, two or three months ago as I remember. Time gets away from me sometimes. True worship, the true worship of God, don't run anybody off. It doesn't. Look, 
when you're truly worshiping God and God shows up. I want to make this point. I'm preaching to Grace Church primarily here this morning, if you can't tell. I don't believe God was late showing up to Nebuchadnezzar's big breakout party that day. You just didn't see God until they were thrown in the fire. See, I thought that was another pretty cool point right there. Preaching to Brook Trout here this morning. God was there from the moment them people showed up. And he didn't show himself when, they, when those three Hebrew boys said, we're not going to bow. He didn't show himself. He was there, but you couldn't see him. But when they were thrown in the fire and things got hot and things got tough and things got hard, then you could see him. Then you could see him. And there's moments we've had in Grace Church where I knew he was here, but I didn't see him until it got a little bit tough. I want to assure somebody right now, you may not be able to see him, but he's here. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, my. The presence of the Lord is here. I can feel him in the atmosphere. He's here with us. Hallelujah. Everybody clap your hands one more time to the Lord. All right, I got to hurry on. Do you remember what caused you to be attracted to Jesus the first time you walked in? Was it the freshness of freedom you felt? Was it the stirring you felt down deep in your soul? You don't have to worry about someone shutting you up if you said amen. You don't have to worry about an usher coming to attend, take you out because you were dancing in the Holy Ghost. But now the king says, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we, all three of us, there's no cowards here today, not in these three boys. We are not careful to answer the end of this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve will deliver us, us, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we, we will not serve your gods. Somewhere in your life, you're going to have to learn how to worship. And most likely, it will take place in a situation of confrontation and suffering. It's where true worship is born. It was David who said, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He concluded the book of Psalms with that verse. Psalm 150, the last verse, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He was a little radical when he was in the streets escorting the Ark of Covenant back into Jerusalem. But David determined that nothing, everybody say nothing. David determined that nothing was going to rob him of an opportunity to worship. But David had a golden image in his life. You didn't know that, did you? He lived with her. And her name was Michael. And she said... 
You better not do that. Don't do that. Don't start that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you right now, you're going to pay a price if you do that. Things at home just ain't going to be the same if you get out there and act like a fool. And if you go to church and worship with those people. But David had a heart that was bent towards God. And he really didn't care about what the golden image at his house named Michael thought about him and his worship. He refused to submit to her wishes. And she mocked him, the Bible said. How undignified you look today. She made fun of him. She ridiculed him. But notice what happened. That while God blessed David, he dealt harshly with Michael and closed her womb. And she never had a child from that day. She lived in the king's house but could not be productive. She lived in the king's house but had no joy. She lived in the king's house but had no happiness. She lived in the king's house but was never fruitful. Why? Because she refused to worship. You let a spirit like that get a hold of you. You let the Michael spirit get a hold of you. It was a critical spirit. It was a critical spirit. She criticized him, the Bible said. And if you get into that moment and that mode and that attitude where you criticize the pastor and I criticize the music and I criticize the temperature of the building and I criticize the worship and I criticize the way people dress or the way they don't dress appropriately and I criticize this and I criticize that. If you embrace a spirit of criticism, you will dry up and die on the vine. You will cause your spiritual womb to become barren. You will never be productive again. It's not because of what someone did to you is the problem. It's because of how you handle it. And if you can get rid of a critical spirit and a judgmental spirit and say, I'm going to worship God and God is going to be the focus of my worship, I'll let God handle Michael. There are some people who have allowed an image to get set up in your life and you're bound down to it whether you realize it or not. And you have to defeat that spirit today. You have to stop saying, for example, well, it's just not my style to worship like that. If you know God like I know Him, you'll worship God. Not necessarily like me, but He'll be more exuberant than what? If we could only get a glimpse of Him, this building couldn't contain our praise and worship. And besides that, your worship, your style of worship, your frequency of worship, and your fervency in worship is not about you anyway. It's about Him. Do you love your spouse just because you think it's cool to love your spouse? Or do you love your spouse because they're the object of your love? And you like pouring out good stuff on them. See, I thought that was a pretty cool point too. I know people are just ooh and ah and ooh and ah over their kids, especially the infants. They're not pretty when they're born. They're not. Their head's shaped funny. Their head's way out of proportion to the size of their body. That woke you up, didn't it? You're listening to me now, ain't you? I just heard everybody's feelings sitting in this building. I just want to see if I get something out of you this morning. But I oh, they're so adorable. Their eyes are beautiful. They have their daddy's eyes. And I look at their daddy's eyes, and his eyes aren't beautiful. I don't see the correlation. 
But, buddy, people will goo-goo and ga-ga and go on and on about this baby. When it comes to the presence of God, they say, I can't do that. Why? It's in you to do it. You were created to do it. You were made for that purpose to do that. If you love Him, if you love Him, you'll do it. You'll pour your heart out to Him. Yes, you will. So some of the images, some of the things that we let in our life, the image of this world that chokes out our spirit, and some things, sometimes uh, you, you just have to make up in your mind that I'm not going to allow the image in my life anymore. I'm not going to let something else suck the life out of me that's not promising and hopeful and futuristic. I'm going to give my heart to God, and I'm going to give all of it to God and let Him clean me up and clean me out and be everything He wants me to be. So it's when the Holy Ghost starts to move that you feel a tightening down. That's how you know you have Nebuchadnezzar's image working in your life. It's people who can't submit. My job is more important than God, Pastor. Don't you understand that? I have to work. I understand that. But you have to have God to live. And if you ain't living, you ain't going to work a day. If you're dead out in Green Oak six feet under, you ain't going to make a dime. So you might as well set your priorities straight. And besides that, when you live a God-centered life, God will bless your business. He'll bless your job. He'll take some of the frustration out of it. And where you're working 60, 70 hours a week, get a good relationship with God going, and you can cut that back to 50 hours a week. God just does some kind of things. All right, y'all, I'm, I'm giving up on this message. It's, uh, it ain't happening. Whether y'all like it or not, I'm trying to help somebody here today. So how do I know I have an image in my life that's pulling on me? It's when the Holy Ghost starts to move and you feel the tightening down on your spirit. And something says, don't do that. You're tired and you're not in a good mood. You had a fight with your spouse this morning. Kids aren't doing good. And you're thinking about your job anyway and you can't wait till tomorrow gets here so I'm going to make some more money and what have you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let God have his way. You know you have an image in your life right when you feel like breaking out and you get shut down by a hindering spirit that I taught about several Wednesday nights ago. It's when you feel like raising your hands and just worshiping the Lord but it just don't feel right. It's indicative of the fact that you have an image set up in your life. And that image may be a spouse may be a child, it may be parents, it may be your job, it may be a hobby. But you have to understand that the climate of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom does not like worship being directed towards God because the image has to loosen its grip on you. I'm not nearly finished, but I'm going to bring this to a conclusion today. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, had the very same thing happen to them. They were unified in what they believed. They were unified in what they were doing. But they were accused. They were criticized. They were maligned. They were beaten. They were thrown into jail. They were in pain. And the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar's image had time-warped them into a Philippian jail. But again... The devil made a mistake by putting them in the same cell together. It's a mistake. Because at midnight, the Bible said, they prayed and sang praises to the Lord. 
We have to learn more than anything else that most of the time opportunities to worship come when we are in the most intense situations. About Paul and Silas, they said, these men do exceedingly trouble our city. A minister said several years ago, he said, I ran into a lady that he knew and said he had known her for years and she had been very involved and active in her church. I ask you to listen this morning. But the minister said she was telling me that she had never seen a time when there was so much apathy among the people in her church. She said it's like they don't even care about God anymore. They have no desire for the Word of God or to pray. She told the minister, she said, I just don't know what we're going to do about our church. First of all, the Holy Ghost needs to come into that place with an absolute cleansing work of the Spirit. Then there needs to be a group of people to get a grip on how to worship. Folks, I'm telling you, if you want God to show up at your church, worship And even if there's a minority of folks worshiping, God can still turn it around. He did it that day in Daniel chapter 3. And I believe that we ought to be praying for not only our church, but every church in our city. But Paul and Silas, you listen to Pastor this morning, Paul and Silas decided that there were some things that they were going to worship through. Talking to everybody here this morning. They decided that they were going to worship through some things. They weren't going to complain about it. They weren't going to bellyache about it. They weren't going to get bitter about it. They weren't going to quit because of it. They were going to worship because of it. One, where they were going to worship through the unimaginable, horrific pain that was going on in their body because they had just gotten the daylights beat out of them with a whip. Their backs were beaten and bloody, and they didn't have a sweet little Aryan to come in there with some soothing bandages and salve and what have you. They were beaten, thrown into a, a, a jail cell, put in stocks and bonds where your feet and hands are through this hole in a big piece of wood. And there they sat. They couldn't move. They couldn't stretch. They couldn't stand up and walk around. They couldn't sit down. They couldn't kneel down. They were just literally tied to this object of torture. But they decided to worship through it. They had no guarantee nor promise that their worship would deliver them from their predicament. But it's just what, by default, their relationship with God said for them to do, was to worship through. They decided they would worship through the position they were in at the moment. The Bible doesn't mention an advocate, doesn't mention an attorney, it doesn't mention a state-appointed attorney. Nobody came and got a testimony from them 
Nobody heard their side of the story. But they decided to worship through it. Their hands and feet were bound. And their reputation was torn to shreds by gossip, by liars. If you're waiting to get a perfect set of circumstances to worship, it'll never happen. If you're waiting for the perfect church, the perfect pastor, the perfect music, the perfect temperature, the perfect chair, the perfect pew, the perfect carpet, the perfect job, the perfect spouse, the perfect kids, the perfect parents, the perfect grandparents, the perfect dog, the perfect cat, the perfect car, the perfect yard, the perfect landscaping, the perfect this, the perfect, you can name it, you can put anything in that blank you want. If you're waiting for perfection in life to come to you so you can worship God freely and unencumbered with anything, it'll never happen. What's important for Grace Church to do right now is to look at all of our individual circumstances that we're up against and even some church circumstances that we may be up against and decide the only way out of this is to worship through it. I'm going to say it again. One of the biggest mistakes the devil made that day was when he put Paul and Silas in the same cell and allowed them to get together. Jesus had already said when two or three agreed together, if they would have put Paul in the same cell with a busybody or a gossip or a liar or an adulterer or a thief, who knows what would have never happened. But he put two of them together, put Paul and Silas together, and God only knows. So if he had put... Paul and in with the same cell with a busybody or a liar. You know that person who wants to criticize and find fault with everything, that finds fault with the church and the preacher and the youth group and the singing and the carpet and all that kind of stuff? If hell had put Paul in with a busybody, it would have been a different story. It would have turned out to be a disaster. But when we got locked up with Silas, listen to Pastor today. Stand with me. Listen to Pastor today. Notice the screen. What unified them, Mike and Sheila, what unified Paul and Silas was not their pain, nor their prison, nor their sale. What unified them was their worship. What unified them, brother and sister Wheeler, was not their grief, but their worship. You've got to get that point. The reason... Some of us feel torn apart at the seams this morning. Some of us, the reason we can't get through habits, we can't get delivered from habits, we can't get our marriage together, we can't get our kids on the same page, whatever, it's because we're not in unity. We're two or three. That's the beauty of a home that's dedicated to the kingdom. We're two or three. Two, husband and wife. You had a kid, now you got three. You had another kid, now you got four. You had another kid. No, you'd probably need to stop. But <clears throat> Just kidding. But do you understand the true power of unity? All it takes is two people agreeing on the same thing. That night I sat at my kitchen table crying when I told Sister Murph, 
that I felt a call to the ministry. I was 25. I thought I was in it alone. I thought, dear God, she's going to leave me. I'll never go into ministry. I'll be unhappy the rest of my life. I didn't want to do it. I fought against it. All of you know that story. But when she said, I'll go with you, everything changed. The Bible said that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put maybe 1,100. I'm sorry, 1,500. 2,000. No. So the exponent of a hundred or a thousand. If one can put a thousand, two can put 10,000. If husband and wife can get back on the same page, you can become that dynamic team used in the kingdom again. But you got to lay some stuff aside. you got to lay it aside if you can get unified again. So today in closing... You want your home to be a powerhouse for God again. Why don't you and your spouse get unified? You want to be a home that's solid for the kingdom. Why don't you and your kids get on the same page? Quit playing around, Daddy. Quit playing around, Mama. And say, I'm going to give God my focus. I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to be everything God wants me to be. I want to be unified in my home. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So husband, if your wife wants to come to prayer meeting and pray, get off your lazy backside and come with her. Take an hour off of work. It ain't going to kill you. If you're going to go bankrupt over that, you've got a flimsy job anyway. You've got a husband here that wants to get involved in church work. Mama, quit fighting against him. A house unified. Unified. You say, well, I don't know if I can do it. You don't know till you try. Get your act together. Keep playing around out in the world and sin. Quit all that stuff. Just try it. And see what happens. We have people here that do this every day. They live for God every day. And they don't have nearly the trouble and all of that in your life that you do. I've seen it all in my life. There's people here today, the devil's playing you like a fiddle and you're letting him. And you think you're happy and you think it's cool. You ever get tired of going to bed at night and you can't go to sleep? You ever get tired of Eating disorders, and you get tired of headaches and physical problems. The spirit and attitude of a man makes all the difference in the world. Give your heart to God today. Give it to Him. So as they begin to play and sing softly, if you want more unity, I want it here in Grace Church, and we're going to keep working at it. I think we're pretty cool right now. Again, this is prevention more than this cure. But we have moms and dads here today that don't agree. We have families here that are separated and split apart at the seams. I would like for all of everybody here today, if you have family here today, I want you to step out in faith and don't do it because I'm asking you. Do it because you want to. Do it because you you feel a burden for your family. Do it because you care about your wife and your kids. There's people here today that are taking your spouse for granted. 
Oh, they'll always be there. You don't know when you're going to go home. I talked to a man a couple of months ago right up here at the front. He came home from work one day, and he didn't see his wife at home. The last time I heard, he had not seen her in two weeks. I don't know if he's seen her yet. She left him, walked out the door. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But all I can say is today you have an opportunity not to bow down to whatever kind of image is in your life again. You have a chance to stand. It's going to hurt at first, but Jesus is going to be with you. You might get thrown in the fiery furnace, but he's going to be with you. He'll be. He's going to show up. He'll walk you through it. He'll get you out of it. You won't even smell like smoke when you come out of it. It's the end of that story. So as they begin to play and sing softly, families, if you feel to, if you have a desire for unity in your home, I'm going to ask you to come around the front this morning. I'm going to ask you to bring God back into your home, back into your family. Ministry team, I want God to use you folks right now. Ministry team, let God use you right now. This is a huge God moment for some folks here today. If you'll open yourself up to what pastors preached, you'll note a difference when you leave the building. You'll notice a difference in the morning. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be better because you're doing the right thing. You're making the right choice. You've got God behind you. You've got the support of the Holy Ghost. You've got the support of the Word of God. Come on, somebody. Bring God back into your life, back into your family, back into your home. Thank the Lord. Let the Lord minister to you right now. Hallelujah. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm asking everybody to pray right now. Everybody pray. Everybody pray. Everybody pray right now. Everybody talk to the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, folks, a house divided. You don't want to live another day with a divided home, a divided family. There's folks here today that need to respond to this. There's tears need to be streaming down your face. God, I want you in my home. God, I want you in my home. God, I want you in my home. Oh, yes. Sing. Sing. Yes. Yes. Come on, folks. This is a beautiful sight here right now. This is a beautiful sight here right now. Somebody pour your heart into what God is doing right now in Jesus' name. Wait just a minute, wait a minute. Hallelujah! Go ahead, folks. All over the house today. All over the house today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 
Come on, don't focus on the failure of the past, but focus on the promise of the future. Focus on the promise of the future. This is a God moment for somebody. Somebody pray with them, pray with them, hallelujah. 